humans, friends, welcome to Mind Medicine. My name is Tommy Moore, host of this show, and it's my job to inspect and dissect some of the leading psychologists, psychiatrists, neuroscientists, and leaders in psychedelic-assisted therapies from around the world to shine a light on breakthrough therapies for mental illness. Awareness, education, and better therapeutic solutions are urgently required if we are to have any chance of alleviating the suffering of individuals and the burden of mental health on society. Mind Medicine Australia is a registered charity committed to helping alleviate the suffering caused by mental illness in Australia through expanding the treatment options available to medical practitioners and their patients. Mind Medicine Australia is providing educational material and events, therapist training, ethical and legal guidelines, and also developing an Asia-Pacific Centre for Emerging Mental Health Therapies and supporting clinical research. At Mind Medicine Australia, we believe that everyone should have access to the safest and most effective care. We're a small organisation doing big things, and we need your support. The information provided in this episode is for informational purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for advice provided by a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. Patients should not use the information contained herein for diagnosing a health problem or disease. Patients should consult with a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional for medical advice or information about diagnosis and treatment. Alright, let's do this. Friends, we are very blessed with today's guest, Tanya Diong. She is an inspirational speaker, singer, businesswoman, and social entrepreneur who has founded a number of successful businesses, including Creative Universe, leading innovation conference Creative Innovation Global, inspiring minds, leadership programs, MTA entertainment and events, Dimension 5 co working space, and acclaimed singing group Potpuri. Tanya performs, speaks, and presents leadership workshops across the globe. She has started multiple charities, including Creativity Australia, With One Voice, The Song Room, and in relevance to today's episode, Mind Medicine Australia. Before we dive into this conversation, I think it's important to give some background information about psychedelic medicines. I have been researching them for a number of years now, and after finding Mind Medicine Australia, it became the perfect opportunity to continue to do so. I want to provide you with a bit of an understanding of the history of these medicines. In clinical research settings across the globe, investigations are taking place for the use of psychedelic substances, particularly psilocybin and MDMA, for treating illnesses such as addiction, depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, part of the role for Mind Medicine Australia is reducing the stigma of these medicines, because in the 1950s and 60s, psychedelic medicine had a major impact on psychiatry, and many considered it the next big thing for mental illness. However, during the 1960s, these drugs had escaped the lab and were used by the young, by teenagers and people in their 20s, and it created a generation gap, a very unusual splitting of two generations and cultures. Psychedelics seem to be like this rite of passage, as though you go in as one person and come out a completely different person. And considering that young people were the ones who were mostly doing this, very few older people used them. And normally a rite of passage binds the culture together, but in this instance, psychedelics were taking young people into the country of the mind that adults knew very little about and drew a wedge in the culture and created this new divergence in many moralities that was vastly different from adults. 
And this led to fear and anxiety that ultimately brought the Nixon government to criminalizing these substances and were then considered unsafe for human consumption and of no therapeutic use. Given the cultural backlash from the 1960s and 70s, we need to be incredibly careful to ensure that this divergence does not happen again. Central to the revival is re-establishing its set and setting, set being mindset, psychological expectations and intentions for using these substances, and setting being the physical environment, as well as the therapeutic clinician-patient relationship. Set and setting are crucial elements for facilitating paradigm-shifting mental patterns and recognizing positive outcomes. The general public is certainly well-versed on the potential harms, and the dangers are absolutely real. However, much of this is from cases involving patients who used illicit substances in uncontrolled, undesirable, unsupervised, non-medical contexts. I think what is misunderstood is that people think the psychedelic renaissance is about glorifying psychedelics, but really, we're shining a light on what psychedelics reveal for the mind. Psychedelics are a tool to better understand the mind. Stanislav Grof had mentioned many decades ago that psychedelics are for the mind, what the microscope is for biology, and the telescope is for astronomy. They have this ability to reveal what is hidden beneath the surface, and I am cautiously hopeful that these medicines are used with the right intention and are brought to society with this understanding. So, without further delay, please welcome Tanya Diong. Tanya, thanks for joining me. Pleasure, Tommy. Cool. So firstly, I would like to say thank you so much for everything that you're doing as a global speaker, social entrepreneur, creative alchemist for world innovators in creating and developing solutions that are really paving the way for how we treat our global community. So thank you. Pleasure. Now, Mind Medicine Australia are focusing exclusively on the clinical application of psilocybin and MDMA for certain mental illnesses. It's my understanding that all psychedelics activate the serotonin 2A receptors in our brain, and we seem to know quite a lot about the pharmacology of psychedelics, but the effect from the phenomenology on how we experience the world on these is what's distinct and different about these substances. And if you compare it to other drugs like cannabis, where you get this comforting haze, cocaine gives you sharp focus and euphoria, and morphine gives you a rush of pleasure, but psychedelics seems to do none of this. They seem to work more on your perception, and people often describe an initial onset of discomfort as their natural world begins to take new form, whether that be the external world by seeing things that aren't usually there, or you begin to experience yourself in a different way and for perhaps the first time in your life you may not see this separate unified entity there seems to be a breakdown in the way we categorize the way in which we perceive things how would you describe or how would you define psychedelics and how do they differ from other drugs like cannabis or opioids well i'm not an experienced drug taker i should say that to begin with so um nor nor um do i have vast years of experience um, with drugs. In fact, I used to be quite against drugs. I never took any until four years ago. And in fact, I don't even drink alcohol or coffee. So you could think of me as a very boring person, but I've got high in other ways, like through my singing and other things like that. But, but you know, it was really pure luck that I came across psilocybin and, and then subsequently MDMA and other types of 
well, MDMA is actually not a, a typical psychedelic, but came across a whole range of this class of medicines and the psychedelic medicines in particular. And psychedelic means mind revealing or mind manifesting. And it was really by chance that I was reading a blog of Tim Ferriss's and then um, he referred to an article by Michael Pollan, who's written a wonderful book called How to Change Your Mind, which is really about his experiences with psychedelics um, as somewhat of a skeptic. And this book has now become a bestseller globally and, you know, hit the New York Times bestseller list for, for many, many months and so on. So it was reading Michael Pollan's article that I read in the New Yorker four years ago and I was so compelled by this article um, which spoke about this particular patient's experience with psilocybin, the breaking down of boundaries and the bypassing of the default mode network of your brain and all this stuff. And the person happened to be a Holocaust survivor. I'm also the daughter and granddaughter of Holocaust survivor. You know, we a lot of us carry this intergenerational trauma. So that was really how I became interested in in psychedelics and that I then sought to join one of the trials overseas. I couldn't get in because there weren't any trials really for fundamentally healthy participants. And so finally, um, my husband and I managed to secure a, a guide so that we could have a, a session of psilocybin in a very controlled, supervised environment in the Netherlands where these medicines are legal. This experience was so profound in terms of dissolution, I guess, of, of self and ego and um, experience of oneness and connection with everything and everyone and all of nature. It was just one of those things, like, you, you honestly, I, I always thought there must be more to life than what I was seeing, but <laughs> I wasn't really aware of, you know, this whole other, these, these whole other multiple dimensions, really, that, that all of us are really, you know, all of us are multidimensional beings. Right. It really opens up your mind to new possibilities, really. And uh, you mentioned the self. When we think about the self, it's very easy to take it for granted. When we think about the self and when we think about consciousness, it's often tempted to think there, that there is a world out there that we are experiencing somehow through our senses. And then we form perceptions and these perceptions are presented to this self and we tend to think it's the self that's doing the perceiving what we seem to be finding both through psychedelics and independently through things like meditation is that the self is itself a perception same mechanisms that build up to allow us to perceive the world the same mechanisms that created the sense of self no that's right and you know a lot of us and a lot of the problems that we're experiencing in society and particularly now but but you know this has been an ongoing issue this this sense of disconnection of separation a lot of people's sense of lack of belonging the sense of increasing division and polarity that we're seeing in the world today you know this this sense of othering that we do to other oh they're not like me they're not you know oh no, they don't think like me. And we tend to do this when we uh, don't agree with someone or, you know, and, and we tend to put ourselves at the opposite end of the spectrum from them instead of actually acknowledging that really we're all here together. I mean, we're experiencing, you know, so much more in common with one another than 
the difference between us, yet there is such division and difference created in this world. And I strongly believe that that would vanish if everyone had the chance to, you know, to be healed and to see the full spectrum of what it really means to be, I don't even know how to put this. I think you, you, you're far better at expressing this than I am. But this, this sense of oneness and connection that, that we have with, with everything and everyone um, and not only that, that sense of ongoing, the ongoing nature of that, that there is no beginning and there is no ending to ourselves and, in a sense, to the whole of creation <laughs> and consciousness. It's just ongoing. So, yeah, look, this is a very deep conversation, <laughs> which I appreciate. Uh, but I, I guess I don't I don't want um, people to, to misunderstand either that these medicines and they are medicines uh, in medically controlled environments when used in medically controlled environments psychedelic medicines such as psilocybin and psychoactive medicines such as mdma pure mdma I'm not talking about the adulterated versions of you know ecstasy at clubs and parties but these particular compounds when used at the right dose in the right setting, setting with the right supervision of a clinician and now being used to treat an enormous range of conditions and in particular MDMA is achieving outstanding outcomes for the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder and addictions, psilocybin's having outstanding success for the treatment of depression, obsessive compulsive disorder and some addictions. But both of these medicines are now also being trialled for a range of other conditions in the case of psilocybin for anorexia and other eating disorders, dementia and Alzheimer's, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, and both of them for a range of other addictions, both alcohol and opioid and other, other types of addictions. And indeed, psilocybin has been used for smoking cessation as well. And it should be noted that these medicines um, were used in the 50s and 60s for over 50,000 patients to heal patients from a variety of different conditions. And unfortunately, in 1970, they were subject to the war on drugs by President Nixon. And unfortunately, Australia and much of the rest of the world followed suit to make these drugs illegal and schedule them as dangerous and of no medical value. And unfortunately, we've lost 50 years, literally 50 years, during which mental illness has increasingly become worse, during which we've become more disconnected, socially isolated and lonely. Mm -hmm. And this really is a human tragedy. And these medicines were not censored and, and prohibited for any other reason than for political reasons. You know, the president and all his advisors knew that the science around these medicines were very prospective. But unfortunately, when they did that, all funding for research stopped, and that meant that these medicines really stopped being investigated, for, you know, for the like better part of the next 30 years. And, and just in the last 10 to 15 years, a number of scientists have started to really lead the field in, in this renaissance around psychedelic medicines. And now we're starting to see that these medicines um, you know, have been given breakthrough therapy status by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the US. And in 119 current or recent trials, 
there've been remission rates of up to 80%. The patients in these trials after just two to three medicinal doses combined with psychotherapy for patients who were, you know, very sick and have treatment resistant conditions. So that is, you know, an enormous shift and it's likely that MDMA will be prescribable in the US because now in phase three trials, um, so likely to be prescribable in the next 18 months and psilocybin is likely to follow suit soon after. And Australia typically does follow the US and Europe in these sorts of areas. So that's, that's a really positive, positive step forward and that's due to the incredible courage and work and commitment of, you know, some world-leading scientists and researchers in this space. Um, that means that these medicines are now being given this breakthrough therapy status. And breakthrough therapy status is only given to medicines that are considered vastly superior to existing treatments. And we have to bear in mind that there's been no innovation in treatments for the past 50 years. So antidepressants were innovated about 50 years ago and there's been no innovation in treatment of those, or, you know, no innovation in those particular formula, in a sense, uh, since that time. And as many of your listeners will know, and, and as all of us know who are surrounded by loved ones or ourselves who are experiencing depression or anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder, the current treatments are woefully insufficient. I mean, the antidepressants are only achieving remissions of up to 20 to 35%, um, and same with psychotherapy. So there's no remissions above 35% with current treatments. So that means that current treatments do help some people, and we're not at all saying that they don't help some people. They just don't help enough people. And we have a situation at the moment in Australia where we have a mental illness epidemic. Some people say that epidemic, uh, we already had a massive ep epidemic before COVID and before the bushfires, but coming out of COVID and the bushfires, many experts predict that the current mental health statistics will increase by at least 30%. So before the bushfires and COVID, we had one in five of us with a chronic mental illness, one in eight on antidepressants, one in four older people on antidepressants, um, an average of eight people taking their own lives each day. If that increases by 30%, um, which most people believe is, is the case, we don't have the tools at the moment to help the millions of people who are suffering and psychiatrists and psychologists and GPs and others, many acknowledge the fact that they don't have the tools to treat patients. And that if you, for example, bring in 20 patients into a psychiatrist, two years later, only one will be healed. A number of others will have dropped out because they can't stick to the treatment and it's very expensive. And then a number of others will still be on the books of the psychiatrist because they can't get the patient well. And this is not a reflection on our medical practitioners. You know, we have great medical practitioners in Australia. We simply just don't have the treatments available. Yeah, for sure. So I looked at a recent study, I think it was published March this year, and it was looking at depression, mindfulness, and psilocybin and the potential complementary effects of mindfulness meditation and psilocybin in the treatment of depression. 
in terms of depression and anxiety, atrophy of neurons in the prefrontal cortex seems to play a key role in the pathophysiology of depression and other related disorders and serotonergic psychedelics are capable of robustly increasing neurogenesis both in vitro and in vivo and when we look at fMRI scans of brains during psychedelics we seem to see this randomness of firing neurons that suggests the brain is exploring a larger repertoire of possible states could that be part of the reason why we have this expanding of possible experiences no absolutely i mean one of the key outcomes and you know um, on some of the the information that i sent you you'll see these incredible fmri scans of you know a person's brain who's not very connected which is the placebo and a, a person who's say suffering depression or anxiety ptsd will be going through a lot of repetitive rigid thought structures i'm not good enough life's not going to work out for me no one loves me you know the sort of things that depressed people do repeatedly say and in that case there is not that much neural activity and certainly not a lot of cross-brain connection whereas with the intervention of the psilocybin you get this massive neurogenesis you know reconnection of old neural pathways often damage neural pathways, which as you say, atrophied or just damaged because of either abuse or some other kind of trauma in life. But also you get this massive new neural networks being formed, neuroplasticity. And and many people describe this as not only are you bypassing what's called the default mode network of the brain, which is the default mode by its very name keeps us stuck in the same sort of rut that we tend to default to. Whereas the psychedelic medicines help to bypass the default mode and have been, you know, people say it's like resetting or rebooting the computer chip. You know, it's like defragging the damaged disk in our brain. And it's like it's it's like renewing it and restoring the old settings, let's say, refreshing. And um, And this is a wonderful thing. This is why these medicines are so profound and why they're achieving such extraordinary results in the current trials uh, really is remarkable. And of course, I mean, the medicines also increase creativity and productivity because they're reinforcing those neural connections. And one of the reasons why people are suffering from depression is that they feel disconnected. Johan Hari in his books, in his book Lost Connections talks about the fact that actually depression is not so much about your brain chemistry as it is about your disconnection, your sense of disconnection. And and this is why depression and anxiety and PTSD and other things are not necessarily life sentence. A lot of people think, oh well, you know, if I've got this diagnosis, it for life. I'm gonna to have to be on antidepressants for life. I'm gonna have to have psychotherapy and see therapists for the rest of my life and so on. But these trials are showing that people can, in fact, get better after two to three medicinal sessions scaffolded by psychotherapy. So these medicines are not given in isolation. They are in combination with psychotherapy, but it's not psychotherapy for life. To give you an example of that, in the phase two trials with MDMA, there was 107 patients with an average of 18 years of PTSD, treatment resistant, 
two months after the session, 52% uh, of them had gone into remission. And at 12 months, 67% of them had gone into remission. Now, that's really significant because that's against 20% remission from current existing pharmacological treatments. Yeah, these, I mean, the psychedelics have massive potential across many different mental disorders, certainly addiction, PTSD, depression, and anxiety. So it seems to be really about the intention when psychedelics are taken. And I know that in Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, he talks a lot about set and setting. How important is set and setting in these psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy? No, look, it's incredibly important. So just to let everyone know, there's three stages to a medicinally controlled psychedelic medicine or psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy process. And that is obviously, you know, you need to get to know your practitioner before you actually take the medicine. So there's, you know, some screening and connecting with your therapist beforehand. And that's part of having the right set or the right person that you're doing these medicines with and making sure you are setting the right intentions. Then there's the medicine setting sessions themselves. And it's really important that they're in the right setting with the right practitioner, with the right intentions set. So that needs to be, you know, a space that is comfortable and cozy and, you know, and usually patients are wearing an eye mask and they're, you know, the playlist is very important being a musician myself. I mean, I love creating beautiful playlists for these sorts of sessions. It's really important. And then really the most important part of the whole three-part process is the integration session. So post the medicine sessions, there's integration sessions where the patient is learning how to bring the insights, the learnings that they've experienced in their session, which for many patients is described as one of the top most meaningful experiences in their lives and how to bring that back into their life so they can start to really implement their learnings back into their lives, into their work, into their family environments and so on. So the integration is, is really a key for the use of these medicines and we do not recommend that people just go and try these on their own, either in a recreational setting or Initially speaking, you know, we, we, and of course it's illegal to do so in any case, but we strongly recommend that people do take these medicines in legal settings with, with guides. And of course you can't do that at the moment in Australia. You can in the Netherlands and other places. Difficult to leave Australia right now. But we are also making sure that the medicines are available through what's known as the SASB scheme, which is special access scheme that the TGA in Australia, a regulatory body, has set up for a range of different medicines where on a case-by-case -case basis, a psychiatrist can apply for a treatment-resistant patient. So they've tried a number of different treatments for that patient, the patient's in danger. And so they can apply through the SASB for that patient. And that is available now. So if there are listeners out there who have a psychiatrist or want to try this treatment and have tried a number of different things and want to work with a psychiatrist to get healing through SASB, that, that is available now. But obviously there's certain criteria that has to be met for that patient and that clinician to have access to that treatment. Yep. Wonderful. Well, Tanya, thank you very much for your time. I understand you're on very tight ship with all your organisations and projects happening, but 
you're always welcome to come back on at any stage but i really thank you for your time no no well that's great actually i should mention to you tommy that there's a few important things that people should definitely connect with us get involved we have chapters starting up all around australia in capital cities and rural and regional areas. We also have just launched a certificate of psychedelic therapies for clinicians, psychiatrists, psychologists, GPs, drug and alcohol counsellors, mental health nurses and others. So that's going to commence in early 2021 and people need to register now because it's nearly being oversubscribed. And, and we've got a whole range of other projects that we're also working on. So we're a charity and we need support. We need donations to make sure that these medicines can be accessible, affordable, available to all Australians who are suffering. Definitely. Let me know however help I can. I'm more than happy to help you and on your journey with, with mind medicine. And really, I think psychedelics can change the way the world sees itself. And I think it, they are a step in the way forward in, in our global community. Absolutely. MindMedicineAustralia.org. And thank you very much for your support, Tommy, and what you're doing. It's um, excellent. Keep up the great work. Wonderful. Thanks very much. Well, there you go. I am so thrilled to have connected with Tanya. And thank you so much for listening. Hopefully this paints the picture of what Mind Medicine is all about and what to expect from the podcast. We are a charity and we do need all the support that we can. So again, go and check out mindmedicine.org. There is heaps of information to learn more about what we do. Next week, I sit down with Dr. Alana Roy to look at what the future looks like for psychedelic medicines. Alana is a psychologist, social worker, and has spent the last 13 years working in mental health, suicide prevention, trauma, sexual abuse, and family violence. So keep your ears and eyes peeled for that one. Until then, be kind to yourself. You got this.